It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Helen Keller once said, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or your questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map of everything that we cover. Look for the CQ Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new Bible study notes. Easy to follow, single page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible study tab on our homepage. And we also do video. Look for our new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what are we talking about? People ask me that all the time. Rick, what are you talking about? (laughs) Well, Rick, our question is, my life is full of suffering. Am I cursed? Our theme text is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if children, heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So, my life is full of suffering, am I cursed? How often do we hear of someone who just seems to have everything going wrong in their lives? They suffer loss, they have physical ailments, they're deeply distressed, and their life seems to be going nowhere. Sometimes when we find ourselves in these kind of circumstances, we may begin to wonder, What did I do to deserve this? Is God mad at me? Am I cursed? When in dire circumstances, these can be very human questions that actually have the ability to unravel our faith. We can easily allow seeds of doubt to be planted in our hearts, and that leads to becoming unnerved in our minds. So, coming up in today's podcast, let's get to it. God, does God actually curse people here and now today? Could he have cursed me, and now I'm suffering as a result? Well, in segments one and two, we're going to plainly deal with this very difficult question. But face it, Christians suffer. Why do bad things happen to good people, and how does Jesus justify this? Our third segment brings us right into the heart of what Christian suffering is all about. What if we keep experiencing pain and suffering? Is walking a dedicated Christian life worth the fight? Segment four weighs the value and hardship of suffering against each other. And then finally, what if our suffering is a result of external pressures in our life? What should we do? Our last segment directly addresses the pressures of this world on our Christian lives. So Jonathan, a lot coming up here. Rick, bottom line, if we are not thrown off by our circumstances, we can certainly be derailed by our reactions. Does God really get mad at us? As Christians, does he ever curse us? You know, we, this is a question that came in from, from a listener. My life is full, and it was written just like this. My life is full of suffering. Am I cursed? And um, one of our CQ volunteers sent it to me, and I was looking at it, and, you know, the full of suffering, okay, I got that. 
But the am I cursed really got me to thinking, wait, who does God curse? How and when? And so it's just opened up this whole big thing. So we've got to start with laying out who, what, and when does God curse? There are several Old Testament words used for curse, and we're going to look at the um, first one in our in our very first scripture. And the first use of that first word comes very early in the uh, in the uh, in, in the biblical record. So, Jonathan, the first word used for curse in the Bible, what does it mean? Execrate. Sure. Not a word we're used to. Execrate. Okay. So, what does that word mean? It means uh, from the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, to declare to be evil or detestable, denounce, to detest utterly. Okay, declare to be evil or detestable, to denounce. So when you think about it, execrate, when you think about it, execute, very similar word, execute, you know, kind of cutting off from, you know, when you take an exit. You're, you're, you're moving away from, uh, um, extricate. You're taking something out from. So you got this sense of being pushed far away from you in, in, a, in not a complimentary way. Okay. That's kind right. of what that word means. It's interesting that the word for curse actually first comes up in Genesis chapter three after the first sin of humankind. And God is now dealing with the serpent, with the man and the woman. So let's go to Genesis three. 14 to 17, we'll take it in pieces. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Okay, so you've got the serpent, Satan, being cursed. And it says, cursed are you more than everything else. And now, verse 16, uh, yeah, verse 16. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Rick, I was talking with my wife, Jewel, earlier, and she said to me, pain in childbirth? And that's not a curse. Uh, can I get a thank you, Lord, for epidurals? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it doesn't say she's cursed, but this is a consequence. That's right. And it's interesting that, that, that there's a difference. And then we go to what God says to Adam, and that's in verses 17 and uh, well, ending with verse 17. Yeah. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat it all the days of your life. Okay, so there's the word for cursed, that word for execrate, you know, declared to be evil, uh, is used twice here. And so where's the first use of that word? Well, Satan as a serpent was cursed. He delivered death to God's human family and is now bound to the dust of the ground. So that's kind of an interesting thing. You know, why would God curse an animal? And, but I think there's a great symbolism here. God, Satan was, was given, as Lucifer, given responsibility to oversee earth. And he was usurping God's authority. And God said, no longer do you have access to the heavenlies the way you once were. Yeah, he's going to be restricted from where he could go. Remember, he said he wanted to be like the Most High, and he was going to be above him in the heavens? Well, God said, 
Oh, no, you're not. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that's a huge curse to, to be brought down, literally to be bound to the earth and the things of it before his eventual destruction. What else was cursed in these verses? Well, the ground was cursed because of man. It would no longer be naturally fertile. And it's interesting. The ground is cursed. Satan is cursed. Adam and Eve, there's no word that says they were cursed. Now they're thrown out of the garden and they die. They were punished. Yes. Disciplined, I guess you could say. But not in the same category as Satan. And I think that's an interesting thing. God pushed Satan away from him in a way that was not retrievable because Satan had earned that. Man made a mistake instead of Satan's intentional usurpation of God's authority. The next time we see cursing come up in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 4. Just one chapter later, Cain's punishment after killing his brother. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a, a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So it says, uh, in, in, he, it says that he was cursed from the ground. So that which had already been cursed, the ground, but, un, but usable, would be further cursed from Cain's own use. Now remember, Cain was a tiller of the ground. Rick, he loved tilling. And God says, because of this, you no longer can do what you loved to do. So the ground had been cursed, but still usable. But It's like a double curse. Yeah, yeah. And, and Cain, because it's interesting, he says, because the ground has received the blood of your brother, you now will not receive what the ground has to offer. And there's this very direct correlation to what he did and its consequences, and it changed, completely changed his life. But he still knew God and still communed with God. He wasn't cut off, was he? No, no, because, you know, he, God protected him afterwards, remember? Exactly. And, and, and so, but you see that he's cursed from the ground. God's not saying, I am cursing you. You're cursed from the ground. There's a big difference. You know, so we've got to understand, this is, God is laying out what he means when he says something is cursed. And that's what we're trying to discover here. The next appearance of someone or something being cursed is Canaan, the son of Ham. This is after the flood, and they've been around now for a couple of years, and Noah had gotten drunk, if you remember, and, and his sons exposed his, um, exposed his nudity, and it was very, very shameful what they did. And here's what happened as a result of that. Genesis 9, 24 to 25. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he will be to his brothers. So now, okay, you say, aha, Canaan's cursed by God. Well, let's hang on, okay, because Canaan, he says, a servant he will be to his brothers. This curse was Noah's prophecy of things that were going to come down the road regarding Ham's son, Canaan, and his posterity, which became very evil, and it showed the consequence of their actions. So he's saying that Canaan, representative of his entire posterity, which would eventually inhabit the land of Canaan, they would be cursed. The promised land? Yes, the promised land. So Israel was given the land of Canaan by God specifically to dispossess them. So you say, well, why, why the land of Canaan? Because the Canaanites were excessively evil 
in the sight of God. You can see that in Genesis, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. And we talked about this in episode 849, Does the Bible Support Racism? Part 1, because some people just take this 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 scripture and just completely mess it up and, and make it a racial thing and has absolutely nothing to do with it. And we go through it in that particular episode. So, so Jonathan, we've got some examples of cursing, if you will, at the very, very beginning. So to get some curse clarity, what do we want to conclude here? At the very beginning, God established curses as consequences for serious sin. Okay, and that is what we see. Curses are these consequences for very serious sins. But it's not, it's, it's, we've got to keep it where it is and not, not use our imaginations. So far we can see that a curse from God is not calling down lightning from heaven. Now that's a relief. Adam was not cursed, but Cain was. What about the nations of Israel and their enemies? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. Comments or questions any day of the week, just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. God's dealings with humanity are predictable. Sin and disobedience always bring the consequences of God's, dis- of God's favor, distancing itself from the person, family, or nation. Next, we need to understand this distance regarding human-to-human relationships between friends and enemies of God. So, Jonathan, we're going to take this idea of, of, of curse. Can God curse us? And go a step further in, in, our, in our presentation here of understanding what curse actually means in Scripture. But before we go there, we're going to go to a soundbite, and Jonathan, just give, let me just get your, your reaction to this before we play it. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Okay. And it, it was literally called Sad Audio, Life is Pain, I'm in Pain. And we only picked 50 seconds of it, but it just expresses the suffering that people feel in these short snippets of conversations that are just part of, part of, unfortunately, part of life. I need you to calm down. No, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. No, it hurts, it hurts. Just make it stop. Please make it stop, it hurts. It hurts so bad, I can't breathe, I can't, I can't do words, I can't, okay? I shouldn't have to. I just need pain to be gone. How do you keep going when the worst things happened? What do you have to change inside to survive? Who do you have to become? I've had enough. You know, and, and this 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 video just went on with these examples of just complete heartbreak, complete struggle, the complete internal turmoil that overtakes you, be it through physical or emotional distress and trauma. And it it is it's heartbreaking. And so, you know, we're talking about the curse part of this equation right now, but we don't want to forget, and we will get to the suffering part and how deep it is and what we as Christians need to do to be able to manage through that. So that just gives us a sense and a reminder of the reality that this world faces. 
Absolutely. So God taking taking the first steps to establish a people for his name is with it was uh, with Abraham. And you know, Abram gets his name changed to Abraham and we know that story, but here's where God first gives him the promise. Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 and cursing is mentioned in this wonderful promise. Now the Lord said to Abram, "Go forth. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing." And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So it's interesting. You know, it says the one who curses you, I will curse. Now, where it says I will curse, it's the same word that we talked about in the first segment. Uh, The word for curses is slightly different. What does that mean? To be causatively make light. Oh, and you know, that's kind of an odd thing to make light. And, and I think it means they don't treat you respectfully. And, and that's so God is telling Abraham, Abram at this point, but soon to be Abraham, that your posterity is going to be my chosen nation through which my law will come. And when other nations, and I think this is talking about nations, do not treat you respectfully, they're going to have to, they're going to suffer me pushing them away. And oftentimes there was defeat in battle and all kinds of things that went on, and God protected Israel in that way. So the one who curses you, who makes light of you, I will push from me. That's, I think, what, what, what he's saying here. So God proclaims the consequence to those who don't respect his chosen people. He will be far away from them because they are not respecting those he has put in place so to, to represent him and his way. So a little bit of curse clarity as we move forward. Always recognize that God sees, knows, and is distant to those who stand against his people. And Rick, I know we're talking about uh, the nation of Israel and the Old Testament, but is there some kind of parallel to God's people as individuals in Christianity today to this? Well, you know, and I think we're going to get to that a little bit later on. And, And I think we do have parallels that we want to look at. And so we're going to hold that just for another segment or so, if you can okay. just uh, hang on to that. So right. let, let's go to a scripture of blessing, though, you know, because that's the opposite. You know, God is blessing Israel. Psalm 16, verses 7 through 8, and then verse 11. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night, and I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. There's such great, powerful things. My mind instructs me in the night. I've set the Lord continually before me. He's at my right hand. In his presence is fullness of joy. I mean, this is the blessing that God gives to those who seek him. It's wonderful. It's, you, you could be ecstatic with this. Go ahead. Well, just because we may be blessed by God does not mean we are exempt from consequences, does it? And that's where we need to go next, because as wonderful as that scripture is, let's look at those people that he was talking to uh, before David wrote that psalm. Let's go back to Deuteronomy eleven twenty six to 28. And this is the context of God through Moses talking to the nation of Israel. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse, 
if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you may not know now. Okay, so you got another word, another variation of the word for curse here, Jonathan. What does this one mean? Vilification. To vilify. This does not sound good. So it doesn't. Now God is saying this to his chosen people. Follow my law and you're blessed. Don't follow my law and you begin to follow other gods in idolatry and you are vilified before me. Ooh. Yeah, that, and but again, it's you better a, be faithful. You better listen to what I have to say. And, I think they should get that message. Yeah, don't you? yeah, yeah. And this is as a nation. This is as a group. And we saw that happen to Israel countless times. They'd, they'd fall off the wagon, so to speak, and the nation would be punished. And then they'd come back, and the nation would be blessed. And then they fall apart, and the nation would be punished. So it's about maintaining a national blessing from God, or becoming a nationally vilified people by God. You know, it, it's it, what's your choice? So as a nation, God said, follow me and be blessed. Otherwise, I'm pushing you away from me. And there's never goodness when you are pushed away from God. So, you know, Jonathan, so far we've seen several instances of curses, and God is not really focusing on individuals with these curses. Okay? No, he's not. Groups. Really. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, why do we think that that's the case? You know, why do we think that, well, God will curse me? Why, how did we get to the point of coming to that conclusion? Because a lot of us think that. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, because I think this is where the misunderstanding, and I, this is speculation, but I think this is where it may have begun. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have I robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now, Rick, uh, question. Isn't this the verse used by the prosperity gospel to guilt people into giving to their bank accounts? Yes, it is. And it is a travesty of Christianity. It's an absolute travesty. It introduces another word for curse, which means execration again. That same word comes up, another form of the same word. But what it does is it takes this scripture and it makes it individual. And it says, you, and that's what these folks do, unfortunately. They look at their, their audience and say, if you don't tithe, you individually are robbing God. That's not what this verse is saying. This is talking to the priesthood and saying, you, as a whole, are robbing me. Is there a parallel there, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there is. And I think that the, the, the oh. quote, priesthood that is not faithful to the tenets of, of true Christianity is subject to robbing God because they're not giving him his due. It's not about money. It's about giving God what they're supposed to be giving. And the priesthood was supposed to be giving the best of the best. So, uh, yes, I think that this is where things get screwed up and people feel like, well, God's individually cursing me. No, he's not. That's a misapplication of that verse. Do not go down that road. We've done several podcasts on tithing. I don't have one in the numbers handy, but we'll put them in the rewind. Uh, just look it up for yourself and realize how far off it truly is. So a group, not a person. Spiritual leaders of Israel, not the individuals. A little bit of curse clarity here as we begin to wrap up this segment. 
The Old Testament shows us God's focus for the consequence of distance from him is on people's and not on individuals. And the focus really is on people's, nations, groups. It's not on this one or that one. Now look, there may be a this one or that one here or there, but the focus truly is on the broad spectrum of peoples. And that puts a whole different understanding on this idea of who God curses and for what reasons. Understanding how God responds to those who disregard him or his people makes great logical sense. Being individually cursed by God is not a big Old Testament thing. What about the New Testament? Did you know about all the video content we have? Go beyond the audio podcast with all our on-demand videos at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Discover our Moments That Matter series, the exclusive CQ Kids releases, and much more. See new videos every week. Subscribe, share, like, and give us your comments at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now I'll throw the mic back to Rick and Jonathan. Got to catch that mic. What we find in this case, the Old Testament really does set a general precedent for the new. In the gospel message, there are actually there's actually very, very little mentioned about people being cursed. What we do want to recognize is who is subject to this consequence, and most importantly, why they're subject to that consequence. So, Jonathan, as we break into the New Testament, first we've got to carry over the consequences from the Old Testament to the new. There's two New Testament words that are used to express the idea of being cursed. What are those two words, Jonathan? I'm not going to ask you to pronounce the Greek. Thank you. <laughs> two, two, two forms of the same word, but what do they mean? Imprecation, execration. And imprecated, that is execrable. <laughs> <laughs> so that again, again, that word... Words that we really don't hear often. No, and again, the word execrate, because that seems to keep coming up, actually means to declare to be evil or detestable, to denounce. And we're looking at it like pushing it away from you, and like you don't, you don't have the privilege of being near me. It really is the same as the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. And here we've got an incredibly perfect bridge from the Old Testament to new in this next verse. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. We'll take 10 to 12 first. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Okay, so New Testament talking about the law and the Apostle Paul saying for the Jew, the Jewish Christian, not following the law was absolutely a pathway away from God and into darkness. This is what they were faced with before Jesus came on the scene. You don't follow the law, you were cursed. Remember, that was the old, what the Old Testament said. The next point shows us where we as Christians stand in our liability before God. The key here, though, is the law. You follow it, and that was the Deuteronomy verse we read last segment. You follow the law, you're good. If you as a nation don't, you're not so good. Verses 13 and 14 of Galatians 3 now brings it up to speed, if you will, for the New Testament. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that 
in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And Rick, we just talked about the promise to Abraham uh, earlier. If ye be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we are blessed because of Jesus removing the curse from the law, and we can enter in and being a blesser as he will be. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting here, just to take a moment, because you and I were talking before the, the podcast, and we were talking about, you know, hey, Adam, it doesn't say directly that Adam was cursed. Right, right. You know, and the you ground say, was. Right, the ground was, <laughs> Satan was, but it doesn't directly say Adam was. Right. But it does say that those who do not follow the law, who had been given the law as a nation, were cursed. And yes. then it says... Jesus became the curse for us. So let's put it all together. Adam sinned, and through that sin came sin and death. Okay? The law is what came to identify sin and death. Mm -hmm. So now God is saying, if you don't live up to that identification and do what it says, you are stuck under the sin and death. Now it says Jesus became the curse for us. He absorbed the curse of the law. For every human being, and he's and and then the scripture says it's written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree." You know that was a, a despicable death, but he absorbed that to cancel out the sin that was identified by the law, brought to us through the sin of Adam. What a savior! Amazing. So, what's our curse clarity here before we continue? Jesus has redeemed us and gives us access to forgiveness to maintain God's favor. So, does God curse you? No. Has he cursed you? No. Will he curse you? No. We want that to be clear, because this is really, really important. Okay, now let's begin to open the door for some personal things here. Let's go to um, a soundbite from Gifts of Adversity uh, from Tiffany Peterson. This is a TED Talk. And she's talking about just absorbing hardship in your life. Ask yourself, what is this here to teach me? What is the gift of this experience? Many of you would not even be in this room had you not gone through past adversities. You wouldn't be prepared to handle and hold this space. So let's turn these, whatever your challenges are today or will be. Because as long as you're alive, guess what? Change is involved. As long as you're alive, you're going to be growing, change. It's a part of the process. The day we stop growing is the day we die. How is it that rather than resist these adversities or these challenges, welcome them? What are you here to teach me? What's the gift of this? That's a great statement. What are you here to teach me? Wow. That, that is awesome. Now, Rick, we've talked enough about cursing, all right? Yeah, good. <laughs> How about let's get to the point of suffering. So what about our suffering? If we are not cursed, then what brings it to us? Okay, so again, we put the cursing thing aside, and it was important to go through all of those examples to give us a sense of what it means in Scripture, perish the ideas that God's cursing you because you did something bad. That is not the case. Okay, just simply not the case. Let's talk about suffering in Scripture, and let's try to understand it and then see what we can learn from it. So what is suffering? The word for suffering, actually, Jonathan, is kind of an interesting word. What is it? What does it mean? To experience a sensation or impression, usually painful. Okay, it literally means to experience something. 
and it says usually painful, but it's the idea of experiencing. Here's the thing. When we look at suffering as described in the New Testament, we have some interesting choices by interesting dramatic heroes of faith. Moses chose to suffer. He chose to suffer. How do we know that? Hebrews eleven twenty four to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Okay, so he chose to endure. And, you know, that word for endure there is actually the word for suffer. He chose to suffer ill treatment. He chose that. Now, now he didn't know Jesus, no. but he knew of one greater than he in the future that was coming. And he kept pointing people to something better, something better. So he knew God had a plan for, for the Redeemer, the Messiah, to, to bring uh, salvation to the Jews. And long before he was in position to begin to deliver that, his choice was, rather than to be recognized as, as, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he renounced that and became one of the Jews, became one of the slave people, if you will, because they were his people, and that's why God used him. But he chose hardship because it was being one of God's chosen. That's an interesting perspective from the Old Testament. Interestingly and not surprisingly, Jesus also chose to suffer. It was a requirement for the accomplishment of his mission, and we got a couple of scriptures on that. First, Hebrews 5, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And, and you know, a lot of times we don't think about Jesus having to learn, but Jesus is a man. He hadn't been before. Well, he needed the experience. Yeah. His father knew it, and that word suffer means experience. Yes. So this was his schoolhouse. Right. right. With fallen humanity. His heart broke with the diseases and their weaknesses and their, their flaws. And, and he knows how much God loves his human family. So he was going to do everything he could to experience what they were going through. And that's why in that previous Galatians scripture, it says, it was talking about cursed is everyone who doesn't follow the law. And then the next verse says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That he learned and he, he, he applied, and that's how he paid the ransom. It's a beautiful thought when you think about it. He chose to suffer. He chose Just like Moses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He chose to experience hardship. One more scripture on Jesus, Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So he knew it was coming, and at one, a certain point in his ministry, he began to try to explain it to his followers so they wouldn't be shocked. The interesting thing was they were shocked anyway. But he was telling them because he knew that it was coming and he willingly walked right into the jaws of torture, torment, and death. Yeah, Rick, but Jesus was not suffering every day of his life, was he? No. He was sacrificing his own will every day of his life. And in many cases, it was a very joyful experience. Okay, He was experiencing being offered up every day of his life. Ah. And, you know, and that brings us to us. We also must suffer. 
Moses was a great Old Testament example. Jesus is the ultimate example, period. But when we look at Philippians 1.29, it helps us to tie in suffering, experiencing things even when painful, to our own lives as something that's integrated into our Christianity. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Wow. So, Rick, suffering can be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, and it's always in disguise. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because when you're suffering, it hurts, whether it's physical or emotional, it hurts. Hurts, and you're not you're not going through this saying, "Oh, what a blessing!" You're, but but what's happening is you're being blessed because of the experience, and that's that's so easy to say. It almost sounds trite when you say it, but when we are able to look back on our heart, and and you know this from your own life experiences, you look back on the hardest life experiences, and you see the torture of the experience and the incredible opportunity for growth because of it. Oh, those hardest experiences are our best growth experiences in Christ if we have the right heart attitude um, and that we're learning from those experiences. I mean, we can let them go by and, you you know, tell everyone, oh, what was me? And then you miss the lesson. But wow, it can draw you so close to God. Okay, now hang on to that very thought there. Okay, suffering as service, because that thought, Jonathan, just opens this up a whole lot more. Suffering as service, what do we have here? To suffer is to experience. Our privilege is to experience whatever is before us, the way Jesus experienced all that was before him. Do we see this as a problem or a privilege? See, now, th- that's important because you just said we could go through it and we can say, look at, look at how much I'm suffering. So what we're saying is we're seeing God's providence as a problem. Yes. Or we can say, got to suffer for the sake of Christ, and it's a privilege. Now, look, in the middle of it, we're not going to necessarily, with a big old smile, say, it's great. You know, in the darkest times of my own life, I understood that it was a privilege, but I didn't feel privileged. Okay, had that mental understanding that I know that this is a privilege. Man, I don't like this privilege right now. Oh, it hurts. Yeah, but it's it's part of going through the whole process. Uh, Trish is here. It looks like she's got something that she's pondering on. Trish is my wife, our program observer, if you will. What do you got for us, sweetie? <laughs> yeah, sweetie, that's what I said. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, well, I just want in the in the context of Jesus' suffering, I was thinking of, his compassion when when he'd see the the crowds before him and he had compassion on them and he would heal them or somebody come up to him and they said if you can you can hear heal me and he says of course i want to and he would heal them and virtue it says virtue went out of him um do you think it's part of you know our suffering you know he had such compassion he had to learn and see the compassion of humanity in their fallen state is it part of our journey to learn from him this part of suffering when we are touched with the feeling of the infirmities of the world, when we see these things, this pain and suffering, we can't touch them and be, and they can't be healed by us, but. No, but we have the same experience. You're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, a, what's a question. No, no. Well, and actually it's, it's a question that I is a great question because we do have the incredible opportunity to, feel the pain of those around us. We can't heal them. 
We can't make them better. We can show them. We can direct them. We can pray for them and encourage them. But we can't, we can't do what Jesus did. But we can learn about the depth of sin and be faithful to the ministry of reconciliation that we're given for later. So very powerful question about doing, not being able to do what Jesus did, but to learn what he learned. That's a, it's a, just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now that fabricated fear of being cursed is out of the way, suffering can be seen with much more reason. Is suffering just experiencing? Scriptures also say we will suffer reproach. What does that mean? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact, single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? While suffering does mean to experience, we don't want to take away the fact that pain and emotional distress are very much present as well. On top of the suffering that can come from illness and life circumstances, there are also the negative reactions from others regarding our faith. So, Jonathan, in this segment, we want to look at suffering and and go further than just our own internal experiences. But look at suffering. Suffering and experience has to be uh, and Trish actually touched on this with her question. It has to be for the right reasons and with the right attitude. It's definitely a what would Jesus think, what would Jesus learn, and what would Jesus do moment for us. So let's look at First Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. We'll go up to 20 to start. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin, and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you are patiently enduring it, this finds favor with God. So this is a very powerful equation. Okay, Uh, if for the sake of conscience toward God, we bear up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Now look, if I did something wrong and I'm suffering consequences, should I be saying to you, Jonathan, oh, look at how I'm suffering. Because your response is, well, Rick, isn't that the consequence of what you did? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but when you didn't do something wrong or out of harmony with God and you suffer, that's a whole different story. And that was the story of Jesus' life. So the scripture continues with our purpose, verses 21 uh, to 23. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being revealed, reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept trusting himself to him who judges righteously. So Jesus never experienced road rage. Okay. (laughs) No, seriously, when you think about it, he didn't, it says, there was never any deceit in his mouth. There was no sin committed by him. And while he was being reviled and he was being beaten down, and we're going to be talking about the revilings and, and reproaches in just a few minutes, he held up this incredible standard of what suffering is supposed to do for us. 
and no threats. Remember the disciples when they went into Samaria? Yeah, yeah, Shall yeah. we have fire come down from yeah, heaven to yeah. destroy them? He goes, you know what? Not what manner of men you, you should be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, were, they were out of line. They had the wrong attitude. And, and that made me think of this, this phrase, disappointment is his appointment. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, and, and it's so true if we're willing to accept it. If we're followers of Christ, that becomes a powerful point of providence. Disappointment is his appointment. Suffering with and for Christ is a family trait. Okay, Christians, this is part of your life. Here, uh, and, and now, next scripture, there's a, a slightly different word that's used for suffering. What does this one mean? To experience pain jointly. Oh, I felt that joint pain before, Rick. <laughs> Jonathan, that's not what it's talking about. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Such a wise guy. But, but you know, to experience pain jointly, when and, and we've had that experience in our lives together. When you go through something, I feel it. And when I go through something, you feel it. And that's, right. and that's what this is talking about, that building of one another up. The body of Christ should work that way. Right? It should. And boy, it's so much more powerful when it does. The other word for, for suffering in this particular verse coming up, what does that one mean? Something undergone that is hardship or pain. Okay, so there's a joint experiencing that we're going to be looking at and then hardship and pain. So we're getting down into the real core of suffering. And remember the original question, my life is full of suffering, am I cursed? Well, the answer is no, you're not cursed. So why is your life full of suffering? These are the verses that help us understand that. Romans 8, uh, let's go 14 through 16 to start, and then we'll go 17 and 18 after. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry out, Abba, Father, it is for that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So, you know, led by the Spirit, you're the children of God, there's a reason for the difficulties that you face in your life. And the reason is a good one. It's a powerful one. It's a life-changing one. Don't lose sight of what our suffering is for. It's and your Heavenly Father's holding your hand, that Daddy, Abba Father, yes. He's there with you, yeah. helping you through the struggle so you can grow. So we're not cursed by God. On the other hand, we're held. He holds our hand, like you're saying, Abba, Father. And because he cares for us and he's doing it so we can be strong. That's why he's doing it. Verses 17 and 18 of Romans 8. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. And Rick, that, that faithfulness that the apostle's talking about, the reward is glory, honor, and immortality. It, it's to be able to help bless all the families of the world. Back to that Abrahamic promise. What? A privilege. I know. It's, it's so big and it's so massive. Remember what Satan was cut off from going back to? Heaven and a relationship with God. Guess what we're being given? <sighs> exactly oh. what he was cursed from. So no, we're not cursed by God when we suffer if we're Christians. We're blessed. Let's take it and use it. As if suffering were not enough. Okay, let's build, make it even worse now, okay? As if How suffering, about the suffering as service? 
oh, before right. you, you go there. Rick. Oh, right. Well, okay. How about that? Okay. Just All right. I, go ahead. This is powerful. <laughs> we are called to be children of God, to be joint heirs with Christ, to suffer with him for a short time. Do we see this as a problem or a, a privilege? It comes down to how we see it. The experience is the same, Jonathan. You right. have the experience. Do I see it? Is this a problem for me? Or is this a privilege because of God's providence for me? You choose. And that's the beauty of it. We get to choose. It's hard to make the choice and keep the choice, but we still get to choose. So now that you've put that point on the table, as if suffering were not enough, also we need to withstand the onslaught of reproach from other people. And the word for reproach means to defame, to rail at, to chide, and to taunt. It's not a pleasant thing at all. And Rick, I, I really think that people that are reproach, you know, doing this to you, mm-hmm. I don't think they think they're doing anything wrong. Yeah, I think they think they're doing something right in, in reproaching, uh, and I don't know if they're really ever going to get it until the kingdom. And when they realize, wow, I was interfering or or hurting one of God's children, and I'm sorry. And I and I can see people saying, wow, I blew it. And in society today, yeah. Rick, how often do people reproach? Oh, this, that's a others? way of life. You know, if you're not taunting somebody, you're not living. And, and you're right. It's horrible. But we can't be doing that, but we are going to definitely be receiving that. And so yes. you're right. A lot of people don't even realize it's happening. doesn't mean it hurts any less. But we've True. got to use it as a growth experience. Um, and being reproached may be one of the hardest tests of faith because it's always, it comes after your reputation. And that's a hard thing to deal with sometimes. Matthew 5.11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Blessed are you when oh, you are taunted. Awesome. And this, this reminds me of Jesus. The hardest trial for Jesus, despising the shame um, being accused of being a blasphemer of God. Remember his response, remove this cup from me. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just a powerful reminder of absorbing those things as the experiences so that we can work through them. Who were the reproaches going to? Were they... To him? Yeah, well, see, that's a problem. The, the problem was that Jesus would have been able to easily say, okay, I'll take it if they're coming after me, but they're coming after my father. And, you know, his stand was nobody messes with my father. That's right. And he, but God said, no, this is okay. I'll allow this. And so God said, so Jesus said, okay, if you say so, your will be done. But it was heart, literally heartbreaking for him to do that. So, Jonathan, our next soundbite, I just want to set this up. This is about two missionaries. Uh, they were uh, in a Middle Eastern country not too, too long ago uh, doing Christian work. And in the middle of the night, uh, some radical terrorists broke into their home and beat them nearly to death with the butt side of an axe. Okay, not the, not the blade, but they just were beating them and beating them and beating them, left them essentially for dead. And this is part of their story about that particular suffering. There was some sense in which we had done more in our suffering than we had ever done in our ministry. Seeing hearts opened uh, by laying there and getting beaten than we ever did in any of the trips we took to, to proclaim the message. Because the fact of the matter is that the sinful waywardness of the world is only undone through suffering. 
through the suffering of Christ. And as Paul said, he talked about filling up the sufferings of Christ. And by just the wear and tear of human life, every one of us suffers. And we wonder, wow, is there anything redemptive in our suffering? And what a powerful story. Wow. And, you know, and that's kind of what suffering with Christ is all about. Now, most of us are never going to go through that particular experience. But it doesn't mean over our lifetime we're not going to have a, an accumulation of the reviling and the taunting that comes as because we're standing for something bigger. First Peter 4, verses 12 to 16. Let's just do 12 and 13 to start. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you are to share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Don't be surprised. My life is full of suffering. If I'm a Christian, thank God that his providence allows it. Now let me, God, have the strength because of your grace to bear it. And that's the hard part of the equation, Jonathan. Sometimes we can get the, the, the intellectual understanding, okay, God's providing, providing this experience, but the ability to withstand it, you know, you've got to find the strength to hold on to the grace of God. And in, in some of our sufferings, that's really hard. It is. It's really hard. hard. Verses 14 through 16. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So, again, if you are reviled, if you are taunted, you're defamed for the name of Christ, you're blessed. And that is an ongoing theme. So when we see the suffering in our life, that could be part of what's happening. You know, we, we could be standing for something and, and suffering. We could also have terminal cancer. And it may not have anything to do with standing for Christ. It just may be a disease that happens to us. And now you're saying, well, God, God must be cursing me. No, 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 no. Maybe as God has given you an experience so you can identify with the millions and millions and millions of others who've had terminal cancer. And you can be more sympathetic right. than you ever could. Right. Because that you, you're in that experience. So every suffering, as long as we are not doing evil and suffering consequences, is a suffering for the glory of God when you think about it. So no, we're not cursed. We're blessed. Suffering is service. What's our last point here? Part of our suffering is the need to stand ready to be misunderstood and mocked for Jesus. Do we see this as a problem or a privilege? And Rick, this reminds me of a hymn, uh, just a verse of a hymn. Oh, to be nothing, nothing, only to lie at his feet, a broken and emptied vessel for the master's use made me, emptied that he might fill me, as forth to his service I go, broken that so unhindered his life through me might flow. And, you know, when we are called upon, that's a beautiful hymn, when we're called upon to be misunderstood for the sake of Christ, that is not a pleasant thing. And, and I got to admit to you, okay, <laughs> you know, he says, do you see this as a problem or a privilege? I've had the experience, and sometimes it definitely feels like a problem, okay? <laughs> you just don't want to be there. But in fact, it is a privilege, and we need to get over ourselves enough to, to, to rise up to that higher level of acceptance. And that's really 
what understanding suffering is about. It's the acceptance that the providence of God is behind it. So even though our suffering and reproach are not related to some curse, they are still not pretty pictures. Hard experiences, pain, and suffering are tough enough. How do we cope with pressure from others? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. All right, Jonathan, let's say this one more time. Our life may include lots of suffering, but this does not mean we are cursed by God. Let's get that through our heads. As Christians, these things are appropriately understood as blessings to be seen in the light of eternity. So, when it comes to pressure, especially peer pressure, what should we expect? And now we're going to get into something you know, even further, that sense of peer pressure, that sense of, of the pressure of people around us. Before we go there, Jonathan, I just want to mention one quick example of suffering, somebody that you and I both know who is suffering right now, and she is a wonderful, wonderful example of Christianity, Sister Marge. Now, Sister Marge has been around for a long time. I've known her since I was a kid, and I have never seen her not in a sense and an attitude of reverence and faithfulness. And she is a little bit on in years now, and she is riddled with cancer, and she is now beginning to wind up her life. And she sent out a message to many of the other Christians that know her, and her message was, I'm happy. Be happy for me. I'm happy. Be happy for me. Because she knows, she understands the, the, the grace of eternity and the grace of the call. And what an inspiration in our suffering. I'm happy. Be happy for me. She's so special. She's amazing. Trish actually lived with she, with she and Carl for a period of time uh, many, many years ago and got firsthand experience of incredible faithfulness on a daily, daily basis. Just, just wonderful, wonderful um, examples. Anyway, our prayers are with her, and I am happy for Sister Marge. I truly Amen. am. Amen. Let's talk about tribulation, okay? The word means pressure, okay? Tribulation or pressure, peer pressure, social pressure, whatever it is, not complying with what the world expects, and we are in a world that it's, it's pretty easy if you're a Christian to not comply with what the world expects because their <laughs> expectations are completely off, okay? <laughs> pressure comes to the world. It's natural. John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And Rick, this reminds me, we're ambassadors for Christ. We all live in a foreign country. Our home is heaven. Because of this, our lives should look strange to the people around us. Yes. Yeah, and, and they should let us know, like, you're weird. Mm -hmm. You know, why do you do that? Why would you spend your time doing that? Why is that important? Those are wonderful opportunities. So pressure comes from the world. It's natural. You're right, because we should be standing differently than they do. Okay? So pressure comes from the world. It's natural. Pressure is also necessary for Christian growth. And again, if my life is full of suffering and part of it is pressure, it's natural and it's necessary. Acts 14, 22. 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So it's not through a bed of roses we must enter the kingdom of God. Many pressures. It's not through getting a new Mercedes we enter the kingdom of God. No. It's not through a padded bank account we enter the kingdom of God. Under pressure. Under pressure. It's grace, God's grace under pressure. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If our life is full of suffering and a lot of it is external, that is the blessing of Christ-likeness. Pressure is natural, it's necessary, and it's also inspirational. Second, Th- Second Thessalonians 1.4 Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. You know, and I, I love this verse because the apostle is talking to those who have suffered great things. And he says the persecutions, you know, being pursued for your belief and the afflictions, the pressure. And he's saying, I talked to everybody about it because your trial and your faith under trial inspires me and I want it to inspire them. And what a, so, so pressure is inspirational. Let's try to be part of that. When you see it in others, reflect it to others. To, 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 so, so that we can all gain from somebody standing strong. And then that helps them to stand strong even further. So pressure is natural, it's necessary, it's inspirational, and it also is seasonal, okay? Pressure has its seasons. Hebrews 10, 32 to 36. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulation, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. Okay, so in, in, in Hebrews, the apostle's talking, he says, look, you know, you've inter- endured all kinds of conflicts and sufferings and reproaches and pressure. And Jonathan, you know, pressure wears you down. Mm. See, pressure is, is not the kind of thing that it goes away. You know, if you've got, you know, if something's got a vice grip on you. It's exhausting. It is, because it doesn't go away. And it's constant. And it, you get up the next day and it's still there and it's still there and it's still there. That's suffering. You know, my life is full of suffering. Is it pressure from the world because you're standing for Christ? You know, I, it sounds odd to say, but good for you and good for us because, because God is glorified in such things. But it says, you know, partly it talks about it being in terms of at, in times, you have greater pressure. And the Apostle Paul had that. There were times where he was just able to preach and work and times where he had to run for his life. So pressures come and pressures go. So it's got seasons, it's inspirational, it's necessary, it's natural, and pressure is costly and rewarding. And this is the the further verses of Hebrews 10. Uh, This is verses 34 to 36. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which was has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Now, let, let's pause here for a second, okay? He's saying, you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Take it all. I don't need it. Yeah, but man, that's not easy. <laughs> that's not. 
I mean, you'd want to fight for that. Well, that's being all in, Rick. Well, yeah, it is. It's being all in on a whole different level. And, you know, there was a brother that uh, came to serve our class with, with a sermon and, and inspired. And while he was do, giving his sermon, his house burnt down. Yeah. And then later he found out and he said, well, it was temporary. You know, it, it, it used it. It was it, it um, was what I needed at the time, but I'm good. It's OK. <laughs> like wow <laughs> yeah you know so it's the idea of enduring the pressure you know we get tribulation we get reproach we have sufferings but all of that is for the benefit of 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 us to be closer to god and to reflect god's grace in our lives accepting the divine wisdom under perplexing trials is the secret to every successful christian accepting the divine wisdom under perplexing trials. That's powerful. That's a powerful, that's a refrigerator. That's a refrigerator sticky note right there. That's what that <laughs> is. I like that. Okay, let's go back to suffering the best, worst day of my life. Remember the two missionaries who were um, beaten nearly to death in their while, while they were sleeping? Here's how they kind of begin to wrap up their story. I sometimes say my, my mom used to bake uh, chocolate cookies. She would buy the baker's chocolate, you know, that has absolutely no sugar and tastes horrible. But it smells like chocolate, which we associate with good flavors. And I, I remember, maybe I was four years old, I finally worked up the courage to actually steal some of the chocolate while she was baking the cookies, and it was just so bitter. But then she would add butter and sugar to it, and it was the most delicious stuff. And that to, that's kind of an image for me of, of suffering. The suffering we go through is not happy. It's not fun. It's, it's by its very nature painful. Suffering hurts. But when in the midst of that we come to Christ and we press into Him and we embrace His presence, those times for me become the sweetest times because that's where the treasure is. That's where the sugar is. That's where the sweetness to the, to the bitter is. And it makes it a wonderful experience. And here's a woman who, when she was describing being beaten, you know, she said that she got you know, hit in the head with the butt side of the axe. And she said, the first one, the first time I got hit, fractured my skull. And then she gets beat up after that. I mean, you understand oh. it's just this powerful recognition of, okay, this is an earthly suffering but it brings so much good and grace afterwards. So we've got to reframe these things, Jonathan. We really do we have to reframe it all and put it in order. So let, let's begin to wrap this up. Why do we suffer? To produce a tested faith, which brings inner peace and direction. Not because we're cursed. On the contrary, because we're blessed. First Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Okay, the first verse, uh, to obtain this inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, not fading, in heaven. I don't know about you, but those are four pretty powerful things that this inheritance holds. Amen. And it's bigger than we can imagine. So we have to, by definition, have hard experiences in our lives. Nobody likes the hard experiences, but boy, can they do some powerful things for us. So if we're living a Christian life, all of our suffering is for our good. 
and is within God's providence. Verses 5 through 7 of 1 Peter 1. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our suffering is more precious than gold. Rick, if you bury yourself in the Lord's will, you will know no disappointment. And the power of that statement is that you have to be so focused on the Lord's will that the circumstances are merely things on the outside. You know, we were asking the question, you know, problem or privilege, problem or privilege. If your heart and mind are completely focused on the Lord's will, it's privilege. Now, it feels like a problem, but I know it's a privilege, and therefore I treat it like one. Maybe I don't feel like it's a privilege, but if we know it and we can treat it like a privilege, we can get the growth even more quickly. So very, very powerful thoughts there, Jonathan. Thank you. Last scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Key word in that verse, afterward. <laughs> you got to <laughs> hold on to that word, Jonathan, yes. because in the yes. middle, you know, you go through pain and suffering and trial and tribulation and family problems and external problems and peer pressure and, and, and sicknesses and all kinds of things, losses, and you, you go, wait, wait, too much suffering, too much is off. What have I done? How come God's mad at me? No, no, no. If you are a follower of Christ, it is, wow, God is loving me because he is walking me through this privilege, which stinks right now because it doesn't feel very good. <laughs> but afterward, you look back and say, what an incredible experience. And, and, and look, some of the, and you know, we've, we've talked about some hard experiences. And, you know, when my daughter was assaulted when she was only 15 years old, that was one of the single hardest experiences of my life. And I will tell you flat out, in the middle of that, those several years, it wasn't a, wow, this is great. I'm so glad to be privileged. It was clawing through each day trying to survive. But afterwards, Jonathan, my daughter's story has touched the lives of thousands. And because she, by God's grace, by God's absolute positive, overwhelming grace, was able to come through all of that mess. And we look back and look at the incredible growth. During it, no fun. Afterwards, you want everybody to know because then they can grow too. Our final suffering service point. Our pain, suffering, reproach, and tribulation are for the sole purpose of ultimately bringing glory to God. Do we see this as a problem or a privilege? Now, see, when you put it that way, the sole purpose of bringing glory to God, is that a problem? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) How could that possibly be a problem? But folks, that's how we have to frame this whole thing about my life is full of suffering. So, Jonathan, as we wrap this up, you know, it's really important to realize that we we go through different stages and experiences in our lives, and sometimes we're just lost. 
if you have that faith as a footstep follower of Christ, hold on to the promises of God. Fellowship with those around you who can help to encourage you and help you to hold on till tomorrow and the next tomorrow and the next tomorrow until you can again find the peace of God which passes all understanding. And then we can say, my life is full of suffering. I am not cursed. I am truly blessed. Think about it. Folks, listen, we love hearing from you. Give us your feedback. Send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, well, next week, not quite a fun subject, but something very important and necessary. What is Satanism? Talk to you then.